Welcome to Thomas Anonymous with Tommy Natoli. That's me. Today I am striking a fierce pose with Chapter 14, Paper Bag. Brian Simon Natoli. Those are all of the last names that I've had so far in my life. Tommy Bryan, Tommy Simon, Tommy Natoli. And no, they were not from a bunch of drunk Vegas weddings. That would have been way cooler. Oh, and also, I just realized now, if I were to ever have a kid, I could actually assign all of my last names to be their first, middle, and last name. I'd like to introduce my son, Brian Simon Natoli. Ugh, poor kid. To understand my buffet of last names, we have to go balls deep and begin at the beginning with the unqualified candidates who made me. I never saw my parents in the same room together side by side until I was 12. The first part of my life I exclusively knew my mom, and the second part of my life I exclusively knew my dad. So any questions about things like my birthday, I've had to piece together the two different sides of a story. Grown-ups, am I right? From all the evidence that I've gathered over the years as a private gay detective, I've come to the conclusion that every adult that surrounded my childhood was a total fucking idiot. And that's not my opinion, that's science. My parents met in the early 80s, and I'm convinced the world back then was badly colored and in pixelated low definition. Ew. Mom was like 21-ish, dad was about 28-ish, both had already been divorced, both had already had a kid, my mom lived with her parents, and my dad lived with his band. I mean, this just sounds like a white trash recipe for some bad Lifetime movie shit to go down. Their story of how they met are totally different from each other's. Mom's is like super exaggerated and my dad, well, doesn't remember. My mom's romanticized version was that they met out at a bar, surprise, surprise, and my dad was playing a gig with his band. Band? Hold on. Band? Uh, red flag. Long story short, he was supposed to be dating one of her friends, but ended up cruising my mom all night. And then bam, they were a couple. My dad did truckloads of drugs throughout the 80s, so when I asked him specifically about the night that they met, the expression on his face was, file not found. My dad was a skinny rocker dude with a white boy afro, tight jeans, ugly vests, the whole thing. I have no idea what my mom looked like, so I just like to imagine myself at 21 in full drag. Shantae, you stay. Fast forward a couple years after they meet, and then they're about to have a baby. Me! First New Year's baby, 1983, is what the sign on my hospital bassinet said. It was written on the back of a hospital food menu in black Sharpie. The process of departing from my mom's vag started while she and my grandmother were hitting up the post-Christmas sales at Northgate Shopping Center in Revere. My mom loved discounts, and my nana liked switching price tags on high-priced items. My mother wanted to name me Michael after my dad, but he already had a son named Michael. My brother Michael was only like four years old at the time, and I'm glad they didn't follow through on that plan. That would have been a total drag. Oh, look, it's Michael and his son Michael and his other son Michael. Besides, they didn't even know it at the time, but two out of the three sons my dad would have would be named Michael. So I really dodged a Michael bullet. To avoid any Michael drama, they instead named me after my mom's father, my papa, Thomas Natoli. It was official. I was born and named Thomas Michael. Ugh, they still had to get that Michael shit in there, didn't they? There I was. Thomas Michael Bryan. Wait, Bryan? Who the fuck is Bryan and why is he my last name? Well, turns out, mom was still rocking the last name from her first marriage and baby daddy number one. Dick Bryan was his name and being an ugly boozebag was his favorite game. Since my mother and father were never married, I just ended up with this Dick Bryan dude's last name. <sighs> cool. 
The great thing about having parents is that there are two different points of view when it comes to remembering your birthday. My mother's side of the story is all about the day before. New Year's Eve and discount shopping with contractions. Then, later that night, she got some more contractions, went to the hospital, spent the night, and in the morning, I was born. Bam. Done. My father's version of the story is how slow-moving the entire night was and how pissed off he was that he was missing his own New Year's Eve party. Shots! 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 My dad, all night at the hospital, kept thinking of ways he could get to the party. And then when he realized that was an impossible plan, he just tried to figure out ways to get fucked up at the hospital. And for the record, fucked up at the hospital were his exact words. A few months after shitting me out into the world, my mom left dad, and I'm pretty sure she left a note on the kitchen table. It's her brand. And as much as I love my awesome dad, back in the 80s, he was basically a hot fucking mess. His focus at the time was not family. It was on his music and his band and mostly addictions. It was the 80s, though, so you can't really be too mad. I mean, it seems to me like he was on track with that era. I'm sure my mom has a lot of great cliche booze bag tales to tell of him lying and being a drunk asshole and stealing the car. You know, the usual stuff. But to be fair, when she met him, he was in a band, so she can't be surprised. My mom always made it seem like she was the hero in this story, like she was Tina Turner and my dad was Ike, and that she had escaped and saved us all. Hey, maybe she did. It's hard to know when all she ever did to everyone was run away in the middle of the night. It was like her big Von Trapp family fleeing in the night closing joke. Thank you, good night! Sometime after ditching dad in the middle of the night, she began going to church on the regular, and it was there in the house of God that she met the devil, aka her next husband. Bob the Diddler was his name, and you guessed it, touching little kids was his favorite game. Sorry, that is a horrible rhyme, but it gets the point across. He was my mom's baby daddy number three. Bob the Diddler probably seemed like the perfect man package at the time. He had a decent job, health insurance, pension. I mean, he was a good Christian and he didn't like booze and drugs. And his biggest selling point was that he actually wanted to make a family with this woman who had already had two kids with two different men. Talk about shitty slut-shaming baggage. It all probably seemed too good to be true. Spoiler alert, it totally was! Bob the Diddler adopted me, changing my last name from Brian to Simon. So I was now officially Tommy Simon. Ugh, who? Yuck. This name did nothing for me except occasionally make people think I was Jewish. And then when I would tell them that I wasn't, it was always a huge letdown. Shalom. I was so young at the time, I really truly thought Bob the Diddler was my dad. But then at some point, Mom and Bob the Diddler broke up. There was no special sitcom episode of Mom and Dad breaking up. I just remember Daddy living with us, and then Daddy not living with us. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. They broke up because he was molesting my sister. I mean, duh, his name's Bob the Diddler. Come on, keep up. My mom went to the church seeking support and guidance, and they told her to forgive him. Wow, thanks for the great advice, Jesus, you fucking dick. So, being a good Christian woman, she obeyed the all-knowing church and bam, forgive and forget. After they were separated, Bob the Diddler was allowed to have weekend visits and even babysit us. Thanks, Jesus! One time he was watching me and my sisters, and apparently my big sister got scared, so she took me and my younger sister and locked us in her bedroom with her. She put a chair up against the door to keep Bob the Diddler out. Yes! The Lifetime movie is happening! I bring this moment up because I've always wondered about it, and I imagine my seven-year-old sister taking a three-year-old and a baby and barricading us from Bob the Diddler. I think about this moment because I have to wonder, what the fuck did my adult mother do when she got home and all three kids were locked in a room hiding from her almost ex-husband who was a known diddler? Nothing. She did absolutely nothing. And this would just be the go-to response for every crisis we would encounter. She freezes up with fear. She doesn't know what to do, and so she does nothing. This doesn't make her the villain or the bad guy. 
It just makes her human. Clearly, she is super fucked up from 1960s alcoholic parents. Mm, sorry about it. So she went to church to seek guidance with this Bob the Diddler problem. The church told her to forgive, so she was really just trying her best at what she thought was the right thing to do. I mean, idiots. What are you gonna do, right? Bob the Diddler stopped coming to the house to babysit, thankfully. And instead, I got to sleep over at his house on the weekends. Party. Sleepovers at Daddy's house. Actually, it wasn't even his house. It was his parents' house because, well, loser. It was a big green house, and inside everything was made of fucking wood. Because, turns out, Zillow just told me that this house was built in 1905. Talk about creepy. There was a giant staircase made of dark wood, and it led up to his cluttered small room with 1970s posters plastered on the walls and a twin mattress that we both slept in. Down the creaky wooden hallway from the bedroom was the bathroom. It smelled like Irish spring soap, clean towels, and old people. Also, they had one of those fuzzy things that wraps around the toilet bowl, which to this day fascinates the hell out of me. Is that for decor? Is it for warmth? Is it a piss collector? Please advise. I have a collage of memories of time going by. Sleepovers, holidays, car rides, all lumped into this fuzzy ball deep in the chamber of my annoying photographic memory bank. Bob the Diddler sleepovers always started with a hug under the blankets in our underwear. I had Mickey Mouse underwear and it was super adorable. Me. Then we would kiss on the cheeks and neck. Hmm, I wonder if this is standard molesting foreplay or if I was just lucky Bob the Diddler was such a romantic. There was lots of rubbing and he was at times a moaner. Oh, this is gross! I know, I get it, it is. But hey, I figure this shit has to live in my mind forever, so I might as well drag you down into it for a couple minutes. Sorry! Bob the Diddler would have me lay down on top of him and we would dry hump for what seemed like hours and hours. Hey, I told you to buckle up, I'm not done yet. Ah, ah, ah. He would run his hands up and down my chest and then down into my private area. That's what grown-ups called it back then. Oh, that's your private spot. Or, that's your private area. Or, those are your privates. Oh, uh, okay, that's kind of silly, but whatever. Got it. I think privates is my favorite because it's plural, so it sounds like there's a lot going on down there. One night, as his hands went up and down my body and into my underwear, he said, You want me to touch your private spot? <laughs> well, how polite of you to ask, even though clearly you are already touching it. I paused for a moment as he cupped my privates in his hands, and then finally I casually said, No, that's okay. One night, instead of getting in bed with me, he went to go sleep on the floor. He told me that Mommy said we couldn't sleep together anymore. Oh, really? What, suddenly Mommy grew some balls and decided to put her foot down and politely ask the pedophile to not molest her kid? Wow, what a plot twist. Hi, Mom. I told him to get back in bed. God, I was bossy even at five. It sounds crazy, I know, but as a kid, I mean, a small child, I didn't want to sleep alone. And in a demented, stockholm way, I loved him. And our sick routine had become comforting to me. The twisted fucked-upness of this whole situation I got so used to. It was routine, and sometimes I felt like I liked it. He complied with my request and got back into bed with me. See, I get what I want, and when you got it, you got it. Me. The next morning, as the sun beamed onto the bed, I was kissing his torso and rubbing his thighs with my hands. I know, hang on. My hands slipped into his underwear and rubbed his hips, which made him moan like I'd never heard a grown-up do. And then he asked me, where did you learn to do that? Almost funny, like he was asking me as a concerned parent who was making sure their kid wasn't being abused or anything. Relax, Dad, I'm not cheating on you. I'm just good at what I do. I told him that I'd learned it from watching TV, which was probably true. Are you ready to throw up yet? Have you already thrown up? Just checking in. We're almost out of the woods. Stay buckled. I took his dick out of his blue briefs, his huge erect penis in my hand, and he told me to rub it, so I did. I'm a genie in a bottle, baby. 
My face was right there, up close and personal with his private spot and his huge, untrimmed 1980s black bush. I got to witness a real-life 80s bush. I mean, that is more retro hipster than getting to see Frank Sinatra. Mm Me. We used to take showers together, and I would always stare at his private spot, kind of amazed at just its entire appearance and how not like mine it looked. I mean, it's pretty intimidating to stare a grown penis in the face. Those things can be very unfriendly looking. One time, my little penis was hard, and I asked him what that meant. He told me that meant I was happy and that I liked it. Yeah, boss, convince the kid he likes it. That's the ticket. What a weirdo. Talk about weird. He used to also stand behind me when I went pee, and he would ever so lightly graze my sides with the tips of his fingers while I went to the bathroom, sending the most ticklish sensation throughout my body. Luckily, thank the Lord Almighty, none of this led to a piss fetish. Or a blue underwear fetish. Just a bunch of strangers blowing me at rest stops, which in the big picture now really isn't that bad. Hashtag blessed. None of us really know what happens to us from the age of one to five, which usually is fine because we know our parents are there taking care of us and protecting us. Unfortunately, as outlined in this chapter, I was under the care of fucking retards. Deal with it. Despite the run of bad luck I had with Bob the Diddler, like everything in life, I try to have perspective about things. Like, I never went hungry. I mean, we were never homeless or cold or malnourished. I'm lucky that I wasn't kept under the stairs or locked in the basement or tied up in the backyard like a dog or held captive in a house with 17 siblings chained to my bed having to sit in my own piss and shit. All of those terrible examples are real things that exist. This world world is horrible. So I know that despite the bizarre circumstances of my childhood, I am and I was very lucky. I did eventually tell my mom about Bob the Diddler and his romantic sleepovers. I didn't tell her every detail, and I'm not even sure what made it come out of me, but even at that young age, something in me knew I had to tell her. But it took me a long time. It was like breaking up with somebody. It seriously weighed on my mind for a long time. And what five-year-old has things weighing on their mind? Me. And then one day, the truth just fell out of my face while she was tying my shoe. Daddy touches my private spot. As she kept on tying my sneaker without missing a beat and without even looking up at me, she said, Yeah, honey, I know. Oh, copy that. But at some point, she must have gone from doing nothing to doing something. As the divorce ball started to roll, there were no more sleepovers, and he was gone. It then became this big bad thing that happened that we were never allowed to talk about, ever. We all started going to therapy and lawyers, which is good because there was a lot to explain to me. And clearly at this point, my mom was unqualified in all areas. Love and light. I just remember a lot of office buildings and boring people. We met with these two lady lawyers with big hair and shoulder pads. Super fabulous. And they always had these dolls they wanted me to play with and like do reenactments with, which I would comply with once in a while for a small fee of candy. I'm a businessman. I saw a shrink who was a boring white man in his 40s who doesn't even deserve that much of a description. That's how boring he was. The real money shot here for me was that the lawyer and shrink offices were in the same building and had vending machines with ice cream bars. That was the best part about going. I loved getting the old lady strawberry flavored ice cream bar from the candy machines. Mmm, strawberries. My shrink, Dr. Boring, would always attempt to play toys and try to get, like, the dirty details out of me. If he had just waited 30-something years, he could have just listened to this chapter. Oh, well. The real point of these professionals, I believe, was to tell me the truth in a way that I could understand it. The big reveal that they had for me was simple, but hard for a five-year-old to figure out. They told me that my dad, Bob the Diddler, wasn't actually my dad at all and that there was another man, a strange man, that I'd never met out there in the world, and that he was my real father. Excuse me, wait, what? That is some straight-up soap opera shit right there. Yeah, by the way, the guy you've been calling daddy, he isn't your actual father. Yeah, your mom was with another man before you were born, and that's your real father. His name's Michael, but he isn't your older sister's father. She has her own different father. 
Dick Bryan is the man your mom was with before she was with your real father, Michael. What? You guys, I'm like five years old. These are way too many characters and storylines. But your younger sister, she is Bob the Diddler's daughter. Bob the Diddler adopted you, and that's why you have his last name. You used to have a different last name when you were born. Oh, okay, well, was that my father Michael's last name? No, it was the first guy, Dick's last name, Brian. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ, you guys. Can anyone around here keep their shit together? It really was a lot to take in, but for whatever reason, I kept my act together and I just kind of yes-anded everything that was being told to me. A court date with Bob the Diddler was set and we had practice sessions with our shoulder-padded lady lawyers and they gave me a little pin to hold onto that said, I am special. Yeah, I'm pretty fucking special, that's for sure. In the middle of all this drama, my mom decided to date again, cause nothing says get my life together and protect my kids like going out with a bunch of men. I get it though, she's from another time and she was taught that you need a man to take care of you. Side note, nobody needs a man. It's been proven that they are next to useless. After sifting through a few losers, she finally found and settled on the one and only Fat Matt. The day in court with Bob the Diddler eventually came and I was ready. We walked into court and I scanned the room for his face and when my little brown eyes found him, a feeling of terror entered my body and like a horror movie when you think you've gotten away from the bad guy only to turn the corner and run smack right into him. Ah! I immediately turned around and ran right into the person behind me. It was Fat Matt. Oh, what the? Why are you here? Move it. I'm out of here. All that prep work my shoulder-padded lady lawyers did with me for the trial, and I ended up just sitting out in the hallway talking to Fat Matt about my favorite Ninja Turtles and how much I love Vicky from Small Wonder. I am a robot. I have a red and white dress. I sleep in my brother's closet. There are a lot of issues with this sitcom's premise. Bob the Diddler that day in court was super weird in front of the judge from what I was told. He did a lot of like Asian bowing and instead of your honor he would say your highness. Wow mom really knows how to pick him. Bob the diddler went to jail for like five minutes. He was convicted guilty of sexual assault on three underage minors and got sentenced to three years in jail. And then he got parole after three months. God bless America. Land that I love. I never saw him again after that day, except 20 years later when I looked him up online to see if he was a registered sex offender. And guess what? He is! And now you can see him too if you want. I stole that mugshot and bonus for you, it's the cover art for this episode! <laughs> what? You're welcome. Wow, I can't believe I just took out my paper bag for you guys. Oh, paper bags? Yeah, like the brown sacks you put lunch in. They're also what I use to describe what we all put our emotional baggage slash annoying stories into. Everyone has a paper bag. And all paper bags are filled with really fun stuff like abuse, neglect, death, rape, food. Basically, name a horrible thing that can happen and it could be the star of your very own paper bag. Everyone has a paper bag. You have one right now as you're listening to this. Some people never take theirs out. Other people take theirs out all the time. One of my major pet peeves in life is when someone takes out their paper bag too early in a friendship or relationship. Like, oh hey, we just met and here's my paper bag. It's really sad. Oh look, here's another sad story. Like, no, 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 no. You can't just whip out your paper bag first thing. I mean, come on, that's rude. I have manners, so I like to take my paper bag out after a really long time of getting to know someone or around chapter 14. I mean, let's face it, this entire podcast, book, episodic rant is one long paper bag story anyway, but hopefully it's funnier and more interesting than a girl on the bus telling you about getting bullied and wearing double diapers. Love and light! If you are still listening and you made it through this whole chapter, you are a hardcore motherfucking badass with a great sense of humor and I appreciate your commitment. You.
This chapter is what good old Alanis Morissette would have called a jagged little pill. It's tough to get down, but it's an important part of the Thomas Anonymous digestion process. Ooh, good one. Thanks. This was not intended to be a very special paper bag episode. In fact, this chapter was originally deleted from the Thomas Anonymous podcast. It was part of my finished original written draft, and then when I started the podcast, I took it out. I actually took out a couple chapters that I knew would just be too uncomfortable for people. I don't know if you know this or not, but people are fussy little fuckers. But then I realized a week ago as I sat at one of the longest red lights ever on Sunset Boulevard and I looked up to see this massive, fully lit billboard that said, hashtag Time's Up. And I realized that all of these really awesome Me Too, Time's Up movements happening are uncomfortable for a lot of people. And sometimes the truth is uncomfortable. Sorry! Striking Bob the Diddler from the record would be a complete and total compromise of being wholly true. I mean, he is kind of the original hookup. Not talking about him is exactly what what we have all done. It's exactly what everyone with a Me Too story has done. No, I'm not gonna talk about it because I'm ashamed, or no, I don't want to make people uncomfortable. Well, fuck that bullshit! To omit him from the story would be an injustice to the world's evolution in moving forward and hopefully not being such a shitty place! Why am I gonna hide and protect Bob the Diddler? I'm not. That's why he's the cover art. Haha! <laughs> but you know, as always, I have to give credit where credit is due. Bob the Diddler spoiled the shit out of me. It was my one great molestation consolation prize. Sure, he was a pedophile, but he whined and dined me and took me out on the town all the time. I got to see every Sesame Street Live, every Disney on Ice, every goddamn Ringland Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus at Boston Garden dozens and dozens of times. Oh yeah, I would get a Happy Meal anytime I wanted it. If we were out at a toy store and I wanted a toy, he bought it. Oh, 19-something Nintendo? You got it. Me! And, you know, he was also a bit of a romantic, taking me out at night to look at the moon, and one time I remember we watched the sunrise on a rooftop and he let me chew bubblicious watermelon gum for breakfast. Mmm, bubblicious. The one thing I wasn't a fan of when I was at Bob the Diddler's house was that he was always trying to get me to play with race cars, or watch basketball with him, or even worse, put a model car together. Have you ever in your life put a model car together? Ugh! It is the biggest waste of time, most boring bullshit ever. You gotta glue all these little pieces together, then you gotta let the glue dry, then you gotta paint it with this little spray paint can, and then you gotta follow all these directions, like, oh my god, this sucks so bad, can we please just go back to molesting me? I'm sorry, that was kind of messed up. What I meant to say was, molesting me, me, me. You did it, yay! Make sure to follow me on Instagram at thetommynatoli. And you can also follow the show on Instagram at thomasanonymouspod. Leave us a review on iTunes, or just take a screenshot of some nice words you wrote and put it on the socials. What do I care? Express yourself. Thanks for listening. Okay, bye! Bye!